Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Yeah, so hey guys, my name is Caleb Smith. Um, I'm from Central Florida. After a couple years of traveling, I have moved back to Central Florida, bought a house with my wife, and currently my full-time job that pays the bills is um, selling cars um, for a big dealership. My passion and what I do on the side is for um, uh, make websites and manage that for like local trades and stuff. So that's what I do on the side. Okay, and you've and you've got a pretty interesting history as far as all the different places you've lived. So, uh, I mean, you you put in here you've been to Key Largo, uh, New New Zealand, Australia. Yeah. So, when I was twenty one, uh, my dad passed away, and I wanted to see the world because I'm the youngest of six, and I wanted to be better than everybody else in my family and hit more countries than them. So, I uh, moved up to New Hampshire for three years. And then after that, I moved to Key Largo, where I met my wife. We were just dating at the time. Um, after Key Largo, we went back up to, she lived in New York, lived in New Hampshire. We did the, the long-term thing. And after that, we decided we did want to try and make it work. <clears throat> With her being from England and me being from the U.S., we thought, you know, what is the best place for us to live? So we picked New Zealand. And uh, we sold everything we had, man. We... Um, I mean, I sold my car, sold every bit I had except for a suitcase full of clothes and the same thing with her. And we moved to New Zealand. We stayed there for 18 months, traveled around, lived in a uh, ski village off and on, traveled both North and South Islands. And then when that visa expired, we thought, where do we want to go now? What's easiest for us? So we went to Australia, lived there for six months. I worked in a factory and she um, just traveled and did all that kind of stuff. It was cool. Uh, Australia was awesome. It, I, when people ask me what it's like, and I've never been there, I'm like, it's, dude, it's just like America, but backwards. Like, oh, it is. And drive on the other side of the road. But so, I mean, you drive down the mall there, or you drive down the road, there's like strip plazas, malls. And it's like, maybe I'll see a wallaby or something, but it's just so similar to here. Yeah. Um, we um, got engaged while in Australia. Um, I did the whole romantic thing proposed to her uh, uh, in front of the Sydney Harbor at sunset, overlooking the opera house, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, yeah, we got engaged expecting to marry abroad. However, when we got to look into it, we can't afford that. I mean, it is such a hassle to get married, not only to an immigrant, but the stuff we had to go through to get married abroad was just not even in our reach. So, Ended up moving back home in 2016. We got married in 2017, and we kind of we always wanted a home base, you know. So we just bought a house this year in my hometown. Now you haven't. You also said that you're a musician. What what kind of music? Oh, so I uh, I started playing drums when I was nine years old, um, but it was always more classically trained, like classical orchestral percussionist. I played timpani and some symphony orchestras, stuff like that. Um, 
I did the rock band thing for a couple of years, but everyone else wanted to treat it like a party and I wanted to treat it like a business. So it didn't last. Um, you know, we'd get a couple grand saved up, they'd go blow it. My like, guys, that's not how it works, man. If you want to be successful, you got to invest in yourself. And then it just got frustrating. But, um, yeah, most of my experience is in the orchestral marching band, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I still teach every now and then. Um, last year I just, uh, with everything going on, you know, they canceled DCI, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I had a group that I taught. We, we played at world championships and date a couple of years in a row. I mean, it was, I didn't do the rock band, but it was more marching orchestral, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I actually played some timpani myself back in back in college, just a little bit. Had to step in there and and I don't know, fill it in. I don't know why I didn't play drums at all when I was in band in college and and uh, high school. But um, I think it ended up the uh, the the timpani tone uh, that you know the notes on it needed to be changed midway through the song, and the drummer that was doing it couldn't do it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of the few things it's like there's a, there's a definite difference between a drummer and a percussionist. Yeah. And that's why I I always say I'm a percussionist. Yeah. You know, you because go. I, I, you know, I played the four mallet marimbas, timpanis, all that kind of stuff. And it was like, yeah, you know, we had a couple of drummers that tried to play timpani, but I was one of the few people that was one of the few drummers that could actually read music notes that weren't just on C. Um, so. Yeah, I get it. I know um, when I had to play like um, something that was actually drums, they would call a uh, my buddy who was a trombone player over yeah. to because um, you know he's using the slide, so mm -hmm. that really translates to the tipping. Because when you put your pedal down, all it does is just tighten up the tension on the head, and it slides into the note you need it to be. So. Well, and you've got to yeah. be good. You've got to have a good ear when doing the timpani because you can oh. just be a little bit off and be be a little flat or a little sharp. And picking a trombone player, and it, I was a trumpet player, so it was uh, mm. you know. A, a, well, you still you have a little slide you got to work with. Yeah, well, a, I mean, a little bit. Trombone's definitely way closer because you can just be a little bit off and be a little bit flat. You know, so that's mm -hmm. a good that's a good pick for uh, for timpani also, but. Um, anyway, we could sit here and nerd out about about uh, percussion and, and band all day. Yeah, we could do uh, this all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's I went to school for I went to school for music education, so I did also have to take a semester of every single instrument group that there was, right. and and percussion right. was just one of the ones that I liked a lot. Uh, the my worst one was strings. I, I could not figure out how to play a cello whatsoever. Just nowhere close to it <laughs> at all. Worst thing yeah. that I've ever tried to do. And um, that, yeah, that that was it. But um, I was going to ask about, you know, grow it up. Just take me through that. Um, you know, coming from from Florida, you mentioned the trailer park, which obviously sounds like we have an awful lot in common because I was also in a in a lovely trailer park growing up when I was when I was younger. <laughs> Um, but you were, you had a lot of siblings and you had some other stuff going on. So I was an only child in the trailer park. That's a lot different when you're in a trailer and you're the only kid in there. You know, when I, when I was younger and I was with my mom, so it kind of take me through what it was like growing up and where you guys, I always ask if you were wealthy, if you were poor, uh, you were in a trailer park. So I don't, I don't think it's foundation was money or anything, but yeah, foundation was definitely family support. You know, I am the youngest of six. Um, we all grew up in the same trailer. I mean, it was a 
three bedroom trailer with eight of us in there. It was uh, it was interesting. Uh, I definitely was the the whoopsie child. I mean, my closest sibling to me is five years, mm-hmm. so they all kind of had you know a couple of my brothers were really close, and the same with my other brothers and my sister. They're all very close, um, but I was the youngest of six, five years away from my closest sibling. Um, so that means going through school, I was always by myself. Um, <clears throat> and then growing up was just tough. I mean, a couple kids acted out, grew up in a trailer park. My dad owned his own business um, and it was going well for a while. Um, he had a couple of years where they were saving up. They were getting ready to move out. They were getting ready to buy a big house, a brick home, because that's one of the things that we always wanted was a brick home. Um, being in Florida, trailers are kind of terrifying because you never know when you're going to get a Cat 5 hurricane coming through. I mean, Hurricane Andrew, when I was a kid, just annihilated people down in Miami. And then... Yeah, I always try to tell my wife, uh, I tell my wife, you know, every time the wind would blow, you, you're you just wondering... <laughs> we always used to say, well, there's the ditch out there. We can go out into the ditch if something happens, you know, if a tornado comes through. But you can feel it every time the wind blows in those things. So I'm sure being down there where there's hurricanes, I can't, I can't imagine. And funny enough, no one in my family ever bought a trailer after they grew up. I mean, that was, <laughs> I just, I told my wife, and, you know, we could afford it such a bigger place if it was the trailer, so much more land fills a trailer, mm-hmm. but... Like, listen, babe, I'm getting a brick home. I can't do it. I mean, not only my ego can't do it, I can't deal with the hurricane coming and taking my home away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, growing up was really weird. It was, um, like I said, my dad had his business going really well. He had his own welding manu- or welding fabrication business that he ran out of our backyard. Um, and then when I was eight years old, he had an accident, which he ended up handicapped. Um from the last 14 years of his life. So from 1998 to 2012, you know, he was handicapped in a wheelchair. So not only were we uh, like, it's tough to, it's tough to really explain. I'm sure you can understand definitely with my mom went from a very established loving home to being kind of a single mother like that. She was immediately in charge of bills, um, immediately in charge of food. And not only going shopping, but coming up with the income to do it. Um, we did grow up. I, I haven't asked her where the money came from or what program it was. I mean, we did grow up on benefits. I believe it was disability through my dad's company's insurance. I don't know exactly what it was. Um, so, yeah, we grew up on government benefits. Um, and it taught me, you know, the value of taking care of what you have and really doing things for family. So yeah, I saw her. Um, now, was your mom working the, was your mom working a lot at the time or before that happened? Was she mainly taking care of the kids or, or did she kind of have to, did, did her work schedule change a lot after that happened? Oh yeah. My mom wasn't working at all. I mean, okay. in the house still, when I was eight, was an eight year old, 13 year old, 15 year old, 17 year old, still at home. Yeah, so she was working. She just wasn't getting paid for it. Yeah. We all did school, baseball, football, um, band, and it was her full time job was mom, and dad's full time job was making money for mom, and that's just how it went. Like I said, just like that, she went from you know loving mom of six to single mother, um, not only having to take care of kids, but you know her husband's in the hospital, on and off for fourteen years, 
Um, he gets out. I mean, my dad gets out. He's mentally and physically disabled. Probably he finally gets out, you know, two or three months later out of the hospital. He had a brain aneurysm that exploded, which is why he ended up in the hospital. Because I was young as a six. So I don't know if it, you know, made me more independent. Uh, my mom jokes about now how I should have been in therapy since I was eight years old. <laughs> but I, I never got beat. I never went hungry. Um, we struggled for other things. And I'm just thankful for what we did have, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I think what's real interesting is hearing someone and, and man, I just, I'm, I'm real sorry to hear about happening with your dad. That's, I can't imagine. And and you said you're the one, you're the one who found him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was playing board games. So I was eight years old. I think we were playing Bop It or some board game. I know Bop It's a hand-eye coordination game, but something with my friends. And, um, my brother said, Hey, where's dad? And I said, Oh no, let me go check on him. So I ran to the bathroom and um, I found him naked, unconscious on the bathroom floor. And it, <laughs> it was, I mean, still 20 years later, it's, tough to even speak about but um and then so yeah sorry about that um, it's, it's right. still tough to think about and one thing that really hurts me is at the time I didn't know so I came out running laughing saying hey dad sleeping in the bathroom mm. yeah I mean when you're a kid you just don't understand stuff like that you don't think something like that's going to happen and you don't even understand what things like that are. So did you pick up, do you feel like you picked up a lot of work ethic from, from your parents? Do you think that you, you know, you're, you're selling cars now. You also, you mentioned being a, being a business owner in here and we can talk about that too, but do you, do you feel like you picked up a, a lot of work ethic from them? It sounds like uh, your, your dad was working really hard and then you obviously saw your mom uh, pick things up and, and, um, you know, was working her butt off. So did you, did you pick a lot of that up? I think, yeah, not only me, but everyone in my family as well. Um, I have, so there's six of us. So one, two, three of us run, not including me, completely their own businesses on their own, um, just like that. And then the other three of us, they are, other than myself, because I've just you know, with traveling and stuff, I haven't been able to start until the past couple of years really laying a foundation for my future. Um, I mean, they are, needless to say, there's six of us that grew up in a trailer and I'm the only one not making over a hundred grand a year. Um, a couple of my brothers, I mean, I talked to him, he runs the AC business. Um, you know, he said last year he made half a million dollars, um, you know, before everything, but, you know, it's one guy and two techs. Yeah. And he's making, you know, that kind of money. So I think it may, I don't know if it was, they taught us this or it was just genetics, but every one of my family is ingrained with self um, independence and, you know, relying on your brain and what's around you to make it in the world. And, you know, watching my older brothers do that as well as my dad, you know, and my mom doing it with what little she had was just, I think, yeah, it kind of definitely, you know, skewed my, view on life and what I need to do to be successful. 
Yeah, I think the, the reason I'm kind of honing in on that is because now now we'll talk about kind of where your politics are because you went through just a, a a a crazy situation being younger and just a tragic situation being younger and you came out um you know not being a <laughs> not being a marxist not being after, a socialist yeah yeah after all of that and so <laughs> you know that's a to me that is just a a, a triumph of of will if I've ever heard of it in my whole life is going through all of that and, and not coming out of Marxist at the end of it. So, um, a lot of that, you know, I always think that parenting, obviously in the, the example that parents set for their kids is extremely important. Um, I don't think that's something that, you know, the government's going to legislate is that parents set a better example. I, I think that that's a, I think that's an incentive structure that's going to have to be allowed to exist. Um, so kind of tell me where you are at politically and, and what your evolution there has been. Yeah, so right now, um, I'm so libertarian, I don't like to be put in a box. Um, <laughs> I'm, just joking, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say, like, right now, I consider myself a volunteer. Okay. Um, I, uh, for the past couple of years, I always um, would classify myself as an ANCAP, anarcho-capitalist. However, um, the word anarchy I know rubs people the long, wrong way, and it's just been so frustrating to see prominent people in the liberty movement not defend um, the meaning of it. Because anarchy, of course, means without rulers. It does not mean chaos and destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, however, definitions and meanings are two different things. I'm not ignorant to that. I mean, I kind of get it. I understand what anarchy means now. Um, but to hear big names with thousands of followings in our space use the term anarchy for chaos and burning and destroying places really made me bitter towards them, towards the liberty movement, and towards the term anarcho-capitalist. So I am right now, like I said, consider myself a voluntarist, which I believe there's, I mean, anarchy, Anarcho-capitalism and voluntarism are so similar. They're just like, they go hand in hand and they work well with each other. Voluntarism is just nicer. I mean, it makes, it just makes everyone think you're, you know, you're a hippie and you wish things. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I am. But. You just you don't know. want to do it by force. <laughs> Some hippies want to do it by yeah, force. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I mean. Sure, hippies are Bernie Sanders supporters, but what does that actually mean, dude? Like, w- what's going to happen when you put that guy in power? Not only him, but everybody else. Um, I'm not ignorant to the fact that, you know, in a voluntary society, there will be local governments um, and stuff like that. However, in my perfect world, that you would be able to uh, join in that contract voluntarily and leave voluntarily. Um, I know I, I had this conversation with, I mean, so, someone at work, I mean, two days ago, he said, he, he, I just started this job and he, um, he was talking to me. He's like, so, you know, your wife's an immigrant and, you know, you travel the world, kind of what's your political views? And I was like, dude, you just opened up a can of worms. You don't even know. <laughs> um, how much time do you but have? <laughs> I, yeah, how many exactly did I talk to him for 30 minutes about <laughs> war? I mean, exactly. <laughs> But it was, uh, I don't really know how I ended up here. I think when I talk to my family now, 
they're all very similar. What frustrates me is they see me as the baby, even though I am 30 years old. Um, there's nothing I can say that they will take serious because in their head, I'm still a 10 year old. Um, and they're all very, um, I would say they're Republicans, but they're more um, hybrid Republican libertarian. Their biggest issues with libertarians are um, drugs. Yeah, they hate wars, they hate taxes, but they just can't in their head envision a world where a free society could take care of drug users and that problem. Um, so, and uh, I have a cousin, he's a libertarian. I mean, he voted for Gary Johnson. That's the only person in my family I can talk to about anything without being completely judged and <laughs> called insane. Because um, when they find out you're an anarchist, they just think, you know, Black Lives Matter, burn the city down. I'm like, dude, that's not what it means. It's you pretty... say you care about facts and definitions and, you know, let me explain what the true definition actually means. It's pretty crazy that you have to worry about being judged for being the person who doesn't want to control other people. Yeah. And <laughs> I, yeah. Dude, you get it. Yeah. I, when I hear you guys, I, I know. So these interviews, I'm sure don't get any of the, the, the listens that you're that your main podcast does. However, they, they actually get, get the nugget. same amount of listens can... as the rest of the podcast. Really? Yeah, they really, That's they've awesome. been, they've been very, uh, very popular so far with everyone. Um, I've really enjoyed them. I yeah. know when you had Charlie's girlfriend's friend on, mm -hmm. I was screaming at the radio. I was like, Oh my God, how can someone believe this? But you know, that's the whole point of it. At the end of the day. Yeah, I get it. She's a good person. She wants the same stuff we do, you know, an easy free life. Like I get it. And, just, what I can um, never I get over, what I just wanted to scream so much is, a, and we were trying to make it not a debate, but um, mm -hmm. so I was, you know, just trying yeah. not to counter a bunch of stuff. Um, is she was, she's, her biggest fear is a, is another Holocaust, another Germany type thing, but you don't trace the Holocaust back to racism against a certain group of people. You trace the Holocaust back to a financial collapse in the Weimar Republic like that. That is what you trace the Holocaust back to. If you just stop at people hated Jews, then you're being very, very what dense about uh, you're not, you're not looking into the issue enough. You're, you're, I don't, I, I don't, if I say simple, I don't mean it in the derogatory term. I just mean there are several more layers down past hatred towards Jews why did they yeah. hate Jews? You know, was it because of how they yeah. looked? Was it because of their religion? Or was it because they were the people who owned the stores and they were the doctors and they were the lawyers and they were the people that had the banks and they were the people that were doing better in the society and they were able to make everyone hate the people that were doing better than everyone else? That is what you trace the Holocaust back to. So if you're worried about the Holocaust, okay, let's talk about what actually caused it. It was hatred for the rich. That's what it was. Yeah. And yeah. what's going to cause that financial class? It's not going to be capitalism, guys. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I just had to. No, it was, it's funny. No, what I was going to say is, you know, in your main podcast, I hear little, little nuggets from you and uh, Charles, Chuck, Charlie Thompson about, <laughs> um, yeah, I can hear like some old school Ron Paul, like super libertarian stuff. And that's one reason I, you know, not being 
a classical liberal, not being a libertarian, not being a Republican. I enjoy your show um, because like when I found your show, dude, it was probably two weeks before I was planning on starting a show just like yours myself. Really? Um, because, yeah, Jason Stapleton changed. He went from um, empowerment, which is great, but I wanted, you know, a, a right side of libertarianism, you know, and you guys read articles, you do all the same stuff, and you kind of like old school Jason Stapleton. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. a good thing or a bad thing, but you know what I mean? No, yeah. I, lo I, loved, and, um, I loved his show. Wait, I mean, I still listen maybe to one episode every couple weeks. Uh, I will listen. Yeah, um, same. No, you know, it's no offense to him uh, whatsoever. Um, I just, uh, I do kind of need, I like to listen to political stuff because I like to stay up on it uh, every day. And I understand the entire reason that he moved what he moved to. And I agree with that entire idea. But I still need to fill my He's time with some, dude some of that to stuff have too. that kind of podcast too. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and it's like, just just give me a week with him and Darren. And it will be like 2017, 18 all over again. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, but like I said, I, I can hear the nuggets of like true hardcore philosophical libertarian with you and it it's great to hear and it's it's awesome and that's and that's why i stopped listening to jason stableton and um yes i need empowerment i need you know to believe in myself uh, but beating myself over the head three days a week with it gets a bit overwhelming when i want to hear some other stuff yeah i'm actually um now, uh, obviously, people in the group and stuff joke around, call me status Nate. I've got stuff that is obviously not going to align with with a lot of things. Um, I feel like I, as a as a person deep down, I feel very close to an ANCAP or just complete voluntarist. I mean, I I think the government should be totally voluntary. I don't agree with any taxes whatsoever. Um, and a, and and I'm sorry, I can't get into I can't get into any terrible to any terrible story that makes it okay for me to go to my friend's house and take their money without their permission. I just can't do it. And yeah. And so, but, um, I also feel like we need a long-term strategy for arriving at that point. And some people are going to take a lot of crap from libertarians on the way there. And, and sometimes, that could be me, or it could be, you know, I'm a big fan of Rand Paul. Is Rand Paul a libertarian? No, he's, I mean, he's a Republican, Republicanarian. I don't know what that is. Um, but is he a necessary step on the way to the government that I would like to have someday? He probably is a necessary step on the yeah. way there, you know? I like the old, um, the old saying, you know, we're all on the train together. Yeah, yeah. That's a staple. Uh, Rand Paul's going to get off way before. Yeah. yeah. Rand Paul's going to get off way before me. Yeah. Right. Tom Woods is going to get off probably, you know, at the same stop, if not one before me. Um, but we're all on the same train together. Let's, you know, do it together and get off where we want. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to fight with a classical liberal until their vision is made and I can turn everything voluntary. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so. And so what, you know, when it comes to, do you think our voluntarists and ANCAP, you know, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it, are those going to be pretty much the same thing? Are there big differences between those two other than just the marketing of them? 
maybe it's just in my head. Um, I have really dived into ANCAP very, um, deep, or I did deeply a couple of years ago, which is why I stuck with it. Volunteerism is just something that I, you know, I'm new to um, just the term, but in my, I mean, I mean, we're all free thinkers in the Liberty movement. We're all here because we like facts and truth um, and not, we don't make decisions strictly on emotions. Um, so it would make sense that anarcho-capitalism, capitalism is what, I mean, it's very easy to find. It's, you know, the ultimate free trade and freedom of association, right? Yeah. That goes hand in hand with voluntarism. Um, so freedom of association and capitalism is you and me and Walmart. Voluntarism is you, me, Walmart, and the government's all voluntary. Yep. No coercion. If you want out, you're out. If you don't want to pay the taxes, you don't have to. And uh, I can, I would definitely move towards towards that world. It's weird that ANCAP combines now two words that have been completely destroyed by narratives yes. and and just it's overall. Not a, it's not on accident either. I know. It's not on accident <laughs> that the most brilliant philosophy ever created by man got completely destroyed by the people that want the most power in the world. Not yeah. a coincidence whatsoever. It's a, I mean, anarchy, people don't understand what that means. I've probably made the mistake before. I know I have in the past. And then capitalism, which is a dirty word now, and even people who uh, are free market enthusiasts don't like to use the word capitalism and say that that's a word that you shouldn't use. And I'm just like, why? There's nothing about capitalism that says what we have right now. It doesn't mean that the government needs to uh, control everything and and pick the winners and losers and tax people and create regulations. That's not what capitalism says at, at all. I mean, the free market, it, it is capitalism to me. They're the same thing. So it's just a word that's been destroyed, <laughs> you know? I don't, uh, I don't. Yeah, definitely. I don't and when when I get in the arguments with my libertarian family, um, and that the whole thing with them is like, no, you don't want Walmart to run the world. Like, I get it. All right, I understand monopolies aren't good, but I play the why game with them, or the how. You know, why is that bad? How did they get there? Oh, you know, because. You know, they provided this. Oh, how did they how did they get to that point? Oh, well, you know, they got these handouts. Okay, how does that happen? Oh, well, you know, lobbyists in you know, Washington giving them this. Oh, okay. So it goes down to the government's the problem. And then we move on to something else. Yeah. And then I just, and their whole thing is, um, you know, big corporations need regulations. And just why? Because what's the what's the profit incentive on that? Why? I mean, just try it my way and see what happens. What's the harm in that? There is a thing where everyone's worried it's going to eventually be, you know, just one company is going to run everything. And uh, I had someone telling me that on Twitter the other day. And I was like, dude, um, we already have that. The company is called the U.S. government. And yeah, they uh, are know, actually incorporated. They're so. incorporated. What you're worried about right now <laughs> is actually happening. And it's the it's the U.S. government that is the company. And and I don't know why you would like that. But it's uh, anyway, aside from that, 
people are worried about the monopolies. And if it's a monopoly that's gained by regulation and force, then that's one thing. If it's a monopoly that is gained by having the lowest prices and best product available, I don't find that as a scary situation where I'm like, you're telling me worst case scenario, everyone got a better product at a lower price. Like that's a, yeah, that's a worst awful, case scenario. How awful is Walmart for going into the poorest places in the world and offering the cheapest, best products they can find? Like how, like that's the worst thing ever Yeah, to completely make everybody's lives better. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> There's your horror story. They made everything so <laughs> much cheaper. They saved everyone money and people yeah. went out of business because they charged higher prices and people wanted to go to a place that charged lower prices. And so in the horror story, um, everyone in the whole community got things at a lower price. And yeah, it's Walmart put all these people out of business. No, false. Walmart didn't put anybody out of business, but no. consumers put them out of business. That's true. And I also, you know, my parents, yeah. and we'll get to, I got to get back to you here in a minute, but I'm having fun talking politics and economics and stuff too. But I want to know how this relates to, <laughs> to you as a person. But um, you know, my family owns a grocery store in a, in a small town and they are the, you know, that's my, my dad and my stepmom. They own a grocery store in a small town and, and there's a Walmart about 20 minutes away, something like that. And, and I've, I mean, I've talked to them about this before. Their prices aren't where Walmart's prices are. And it, you're telling me if, if everyone could just get their groceries delivered by Walmart and they could all save money on their groceries that that wouldn't be better for the whole community of a couple hundred people that we should protect uh, my dad and my stepmom from losing money at the expense of the entire community paying more for everything that they need. And I'm sorry, I just, I'm not entirely sympathetic to that argument. And uh, I'm just not. I don't see why we should protect, I don't see why we should protect my, my dad and my stepmom at the expense of hundreds of people in the community paying more for everything that they need. And I don't, I don't see how that's better. Well, and, and also it's, it's the town that makes that choice. It's not like mm -hmm. they're all on horse and buggy. Everyone in that town has a car. Mm -hmm. They go to your dad's store probably because one, they want to support someone they know, support a local business and have a decent time as a, you know, good customer service, good quality product. And you get the opposite and you go to Walmart. Yeah, I'm paying two bucks less for this piece of meat, but I mean, it's freaking Walmart. Like, why would I want to go there? I don't, no one goes to Walmart because they want to. No. But they fit a specific place in the market and they do it very well. Mm -hmm. And that's why they are where they are. Now, how do you, when it comes to, you know, we're talking about you, we talked about your situation growing up, which was, uh, which was, crazy how do you come out uh with this view on the life and the, uh, on the world we already talked about it's it's just amazing you didn't turn out as a marxist now how do you land on these ideas as being the best thing even for people that were like in the situation that you were in that you didn't just need a big a big government to come in and take care of you guys all the time that that you would you would be okay with that not existing. And and why do you think that's better for everyone? Well, 
we did, like I said, have government benefits. However, I saw the community step in as well. Um, within a week, my house had new furniture, new computers, and this was 1998. I'm talking about a Comprap, pretty sorry, old school computer, all charity from our church. Came in, we had food for months. Our bills were paid, and this wasn't the government. This was our community. This was our church that paid for all this. So maybe there was a seed planted there um, when I was eight years old that there is a different way. Um, how I came to be a libertarian, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I'm not even joking when I say Ron Swanson. <laughs> um, like, uh, so in 2008, I was 18 in business school. And, you know, all my friends love Daily Show, Colbert Report, so did I. And I voted for Obama. Um, and I voted for Obama the same reason I voted for Trump four years ago. They're going to lower taxes in, in the wars, supposedly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I just, I always had this, just felt like every time I got to the voting booth, it was either the choice of one gun pointing at me or the other. I didn't like that. Um, after I voted for Trump, um, this was, you know, a couple of years after I knew what libertarianism was, but didn't understand. I'm so mad at myself in 2008 because I would have loved to be a part of the real liberty movement. All I knew about Ron Paul was, you know, this guy just wants to legalize pot. That's all they taught us in college. Mm -hmm. so, and I mean, this guy just wants to legalize pot. And at the time I was, which I still am, um, against drugs. I don't think you should do it. I'm not going to force you not to. And that's, I was like, no, I don't want drugs legalized, blah, blah, blah. So I voted for Obama. Um, eight years later, I voted for Trump. And again, like I said, for the same reasons, they were going to lower taxes and end wars, which, um, so after that, I got a job where I was driving a lot and I literally searched libertarian podcasts and the great Tom Woods came up mm. and that absolutely changed my life. I mean, it was not just someone that completely explained everything. I did not know that I needed answered. Um, and then from Tom Woods, I found Jason Stapleton. Um, and then found Dave Smith and Lines of Liberty. Um, and I have probably in the past four years listened to every Liberty podcast I can. And now my daily must-haves are Tom, Dave, and you guys. Um, and how did you find just, us, by the way? Again, searching li Libertarian podcast. Just searching? Okay. Um, going in, and going in the, um, you know, the listen to as well, or the, what's it called on Apple, where it's just, you know, try this as well or something, you know? scrolling through and this is your suggestions um and it was like brian nichols blah 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 all this kind of stuff and then you guys came up hmm. i was like huh, someone that doesn't put their name on the podcast let me try this <laughs> um yeah and and it's and you know you've you guys hit another point i didn't need hit which was you know finding meaning and i couldn't ever really figure out how um and then it was just such a relief that um you know i found two guys i feel like 
he could be my freaking brothers, like <laughs> like brother in arms for life. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're a couple years older than me, but it's just you know you're musician. You're both straight white devil males. Um, <laughs> you know you, you talk about living. You go through this. You call group, you call out everyone's bullshit. Group in a trailer. Like, Finally, dude. <laughs> yeah. It was like musicians yeah. group in the trailer. Yeah. And I'm like, holy. <laughs> I'm not going to cuss. Holy cow. <laughs> no. But, it's, um, so what are you, you know, talking about the meaning thing? Like, what are you moving? Do you have aspirations for uh, doing your own business? So you said you're, um, you're, you said you're selling cars right now, which uh, you can, you can make a lot of money doing. Um, it, and it's, and also I was going to ask if you listen to, uh, if you ever get any inspiration from the old Grant Cardone and selling cars, because um, I, I read a couple of his books and he was talking about how that's how he uh, saved up all his money to start buying places was through being a car salesman. And he hated it, absolutely hated selling cars, but he decided he was going to make, you know, be the best car salesman that there ever was. And um, and so that anyway, I was going to tell you, I have a couple book recommendations from him. If you can, if you can handle salesman people like that but it'd be great with what with what you're doing for sure. i mean there's not there's a reason he is who he is and everyone knows his name yeah if it didn't work he wouldn't be there mm-hmm. um so i started i went i had a uh, my last job was a building background like i managed a crew of a couple guys that did maintenance and repairs and renovations and stuff like that again something similar to you man and i was mm-hmm. like holy shit these guys <laughs> I get, get along with them great. And it's, um, and then, so this year, my goal eventually, and we haven't, my wife and I haven't figured out exactly where we want to do this. So I think our 10 years from now for the middle part of our lives is going to be hopefully, well, not even hopefully it will happen. I'm going to get there. It's going to be self-sufficient in the mountains of New Hampshire. Um, and you know, it's building blocks. So right now this year we bought our house, um, and we are doing one step at a time. So this house is, um, septic tank instead of sewer one step at a time. Our next house is going to be septic tank and well water, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we can get, build the stuff sufficiently and then eventually self-sustaining, hopefully at that point, you know, 10 years from now, solar panels, batteries will be you know, the free market will take care of any problems we have now. Um, and then, you know, have our own animals that we use for meat as well as eggs and everything like that. I mean, this house now is, we have a, um, my wife does gardening. Um, she's a, uh, like a landscape architect and she loves living off the land. So we're going to have our own, we're going to provide all of our own vegetables um, for our family. Um, and we're going to have chicken for eggs coming up soon. We, we've, we've only been there a couple months, so we're just still getting in the process of getting it all started. And then eventually it's tough for her to think of chickens, um, at your house for meat. So eventually we're going to get to that as well. And, um, yeah, my ultimate goal is just to live in the mountains of New Hampshire, self-sufficient, my own food, my own source of power, my own water, um, anything that has to do, um, you know, with life. And 
the, the, I don't even know which question was, but that's just well, it's just where what your you know what your aspirations are, what you're moving towards. So yeah, that's uh that's really cool. Yeah. You know, speaking of what you're what you're working towards right now, it's the only reason that uh, the only tax that I feel like I would compromise on is a consumption tax, and it's because eventually what you're doing, and I still don't want that tax at all, but um, you know, if, if we're going to live in that world, what you're doing, you could eventually live without taxes. And, and yeah. that, you know, that's re- you could, you could become uh, self-sustaining and you could become independent yeah. and you could live without taxation. And that is the only tax that I yeah. can find that you can actually uh, get around ever having to pay eventually. You know, you can get some some seeds, and you can get some some little chickens, and you can you can uh, get your place built, and then you can live the rest of your life and not have to pay any taxes. So it's the only one I can see that could become voluntary uh, completely someday. But I was going to tell you, man, that I mean, nothing better than some fresh eggs from the chickens. I've got some. I've literally got some down in the fridge right now because my dad has some chickens. <laughs> yeah, and it was um, not not like anything we grew up with that had this i think it's just wanting to be free like not just free on paper dude like free in my soul mm-hmm. um just to feel free from you know unnecessary obligations that society puts on me and my family um we're expecting our first kid and what i've heard from not only family friends and you know the people i look up to that that you're not going to understand anything and meaning in life until that little get that little guy comes. So another thing that, you know, putting some meaning in our life was that, um, and not only in my life, but I know it's going to change my wife's life as well. And she's always frustrated trying to find, you know, reason to be, she has hopped around from jobs and, you know, she's actually been to, I think almost 50 countries. So she did a lot more traveling than I did when she was younger. Um, so she's always wanted a home base and real meaning. And, you know, that's something that we're building. And I just feel so free and so happy that, yeah, I pay property tax. I pay all the taxes I have to. So I don't end up in jail. However, with the life I'm building, like my soul just feels free. And it's just such a relief. Definitely. Yeah. And I've definitely, you know, I don't, I don't have any kids, uh, but I've heard from all my friends who do have kids that it, it does, it completely changes everything. And especially with meaning, I had a friend text me and, and, uh, I didn't think he was ever going to have kids. And he, and I was like, how is it, man? How does it feel? He's like, well, he's like, it gives, it gives you a, a true meaning that you just never, you know, you never knew you had. He's like, it, it, it really takes care of that, of that whole question right there. And, um, and I, and I think, I think that's a really great thing. I've, I've never, uh, I don't, maybe I just have an empty hollow soul. I don't know. I've never felt that, that I wanted to have kids. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, it's... dude, I'm, um, I'm stoked. Like to tell you the truth. Um, my wife wakes up in the morning. She sees me drinking a cup of tea, reading a book with my, in my reading chair. And she's like, you were made to be a grandpa. <laughs> like, babe, this is, this is step number one. <laughs> Are you reading a book about um, like old wooden boats or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm a fantasy nerd, but that's just another... <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a book yeah, uh, that, um, there's a book that, uh, oh crap, the guy who played Ron Swanson, um, called, uh, what's his name? No. I've re- yeah. Um, called paddle your own canoe or something like that. 
Yeah, and Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a Christmas present a couple of years ago yeah. when I decided that I was going to live my life as Ron Swanson. However, now that I have completely gone down the rabbit hole of libertarianism, when I watch the show, I get so frustrated oh, I with what too. Hollywood made us look like. It's I do too. Like, I just, my favorite one is when they're in England and he pulls out a dollar bill. And he's like, no, you're going to take this. It's the best thing in the world. And I'm like, I'm like, babe, a real libertarian wouldn't think that way about the money. No, he's, <laughs> he would pull out a gold coin or something. Like Ron Swanson's a little bit more like a, he's almost like a, like a MAGA, like America, like America, best yeah. thing ever. And that's not really how, I mean, I, I that's not how I see libertarians. At, at all there's no, one time no, where Juan Swanson says yeah. so my dream is a guy who just gets to sit in the room and decide who the nuke or something like that and I'm like that's, <laughs> yeah. not, a, that's not a libertarian <laughs> exactly <laughs> but it did give like you know it did give me um something to look into yeah because like you know when he hands on the piece of paper and it says I do what I want and I'm like yeah you should be able to do what you want and then I looked up libertarian and found you know, everything that I have today is thankful to that stupid character on TV just because he put a bug in my ear to search what a libertarian was. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised. I know, they, like put, I said, they put a lot of a stuff lot of in there. A lot of people are like, oh, Ron know? Paul changed my life. Um, I read Murray Rothbard when I was eight years old and I've been a history <laughs> teacher for, for 50,000 years. It's like, no, dude, I watched the stupid TV show <laughs> and that's why I am where I am. Yeah. And what's, you know, what's crazy is some other people were probably inspired by Leslie Nope about how they wanted to be in their local government and just do everything perfect and take care of everything for everyone. And, uh, yeah. you know, that, that would be interesting to, to listen from people that, that saw that too. But, um, it, you know, so while we're rounding this out, what I wanted, what I want to get at is, um, libertarians and you know i won't call you libertarian just say a uh, ancap voluntarist people like that that don't i watch... am just just to give a middle finger to both sides i am a registered libertarian in the <laughs> state party of florida because so. you can't <laughs> register as an ANCAP. I, you know, I registered as a libertarian and those bastards sent me a card that said independent on it and i was like nah i ain't playing that i called them up no you better send me my card that says libertarian on it <laughs> Um, that it makes me it drives me nuts in Tennessee that I can't vote as a libertarian. It's got to be independent, and uh, that's just a whole other thing with ballot access and all those yeah. crazy rules. But um, you know, we're all looked at as people who just don't care about other people and and really just yeah, care about ourselves. So how do we fight that? How do you? What do you say to that? If someone says you obviously. You know, how could you, with everything you went through, you just don't care about anyone but yourself and you don't want to help anyone. Like, what what do you say back to that? How do you make people realize that actually this could be, I always call it, it's the most compassionate ideology that there is. You know? I mean, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, if we had the answer, we would be there right now. It's, First off, if someone said that to me, I just looked and said, um, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> if you were in my shoes, do you think if with everything I went through, I wouldn't have figured out how you should treat people and how things should go for everyone that grew up the way I did? Because 
I didn't just look at it from the outside in saying we have to help poor people. I was one of those people. And you know who came to our care was the community, the church. It wasn't just the government. Um, and it was uh, the disability insurance that paid, you know, for everything that went on. It wasn't government insurance that paid that. It was pri- it was the free market. It was the community that helped us growing up. Um, and it's just so, just, just want to grab them and just shake them and say, just listen to me for two seconds. Open it. This is one of the arguments I have with my brother because, you know, he's a Ben Shapiro guy. Mm-hmm. Look, I get it. I was too. I mean, he, Ben Shapiro, it's not hard to make 18 year olds sound stupid. <laughs> but what he says is, you know, most of the time, you know, really good food for thought. Um, and I listen to him for my daily, uh, my, my news. If I want to know the political dirty workings about who's, who said something to who and people are fighting about that in like a, you know, an, an ugly political way. Like if I want to get into that, then that's who I'll listen to. Like what's going on. What's the exact update on the election vote totals? You know, I can go, I can go yeah. to that. Um, you know, ideology. Which that used to be me. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I listened to Ben Shapiro and I wasn't open. I mean, I try to keep open. Listen to Ben Shapiro listen to um, Tom Woods every day. I mean, this was me in 2017, 2018. Um, the day that there was that gas attack in Syria, Ben Shapiro immediately wanted to go to war. Mm-hmm. And I turned it off and said, nope, you need to wait for the evidence to come out. It is not worth, in case they're wrong, it is not worth, you know, our military, their lives. And just that moment when he just like that, without even waiting for a lick of evidence, wanted to go to war serious, like, no, dude, that's not me. I can't listen to you. Sorry, bud. And just turned it off. Yeah. And I haven't listened since, other than 15 seconds here and there, some snippets on. You seem like you really kind of look at everything the <laughs> really close to the way I do. Um, the, the biggest problem is trying to convince people that because we have these, just because we have these beliefs doesn't mean that we don't care about people. Um, and what I always try to make is the argument that um, actually what we are pushing for would do a better job. Like if you do care about the poor, then you, this is the idea you want to go with. Uh, yeah. Because what's great is yeah, with look your, at the evidence. Like, yeah, it's look at the evidence. Pretty clear. Yeah, how hard is that? It's a. Uh, it, would you rather? What happened with your family? Would you like, rather? Do, yeah, it's, it's so 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 frustrating. Just as okay, yes. The reason I am this way is because I want to help every single person that grew up the way I did. However, government force is not the option. Putting your guy in power isn't going to change anything. The laws are what's bad, not the person in there. I mean, it's a freaking sham. And it's just so frustrating that, like I said, this, what we believe is just, it's unfortunate that it is. Um, so powerful and can help so many people. You just have to let us try. But there's so much money in politics that you really can't um, because you have to play that dirty game. Um, like I said, I know I am a volunt- volunteerist or anarcho-capitalist, but 
My fight today is with the federal government. My fight today is not with local and state. Once we can succeed and get states to be on their own, then I'll fight the state government and then back to local. Like I'm not ignorant to playing the game that we all play in and playing the, the, the way that the game that we all play today. It's um, so, like I said, I was a, I'm a registered libertarian. This libertarian party was a freaking joke. Um, <laughs> I mean, my libertarian cousin couldn't even, and him and his wife, I mean, 2016, they're big old libertarians. They're Gary Johnson, hoorah, which I had nothing wrong with. Dude, preach it. Someone has to, because I don't have Facebook anymore. And then this year, they're just a bit ashamed um, with Joe Jordison and everybody. And it's frustrating because Joe, she knows her shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was like, I don't, I don't know if it was party politics or just the people around her, but it's like, Joe, say what you want to say. Don't let people put words in your mouth because you know what you're talking about. Go out there and do it. She, um, she's not very, she's not the most charismatic person in the world. Um, and I'd be, I believe that, uh, she knows a lot about a lot of things. Um, but she, she won't take the, the, you know, just the, the force, the power to go out there and talk about it and be, it's because it's because she's a consistent libertarian the whole time working out philosophy. I mean, she's so libertarian. She can't even want to take control and tell people what to do. I I mean, (laughs) it's like, that's her um, answer. Her answer is like, was, well, actually, that's not for me to do anything about. They're like, what are you going to do as president with this? Well, nothing. That's not, yeah, not my job yeah. to do anything about that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and people don't um, want to hear that. And, yeah. And so I, um, so actually, the town that I lived in before I moved to the one I'm in now, um, just right down the road from me, has a, uh, party libertarian mayor and i think two city council people are actually libertarians like on their ticket or behind them so i always thought that was super cool um living in a town that does have a libertarian mayor um, and stuff like that yeah. so yeah that's cool i said yeah and you know i didn't own a house so i don't know really what property taxes if they went up or down really how it works but that's how we make the change that's how we get on the train and go together is local county state and just get rid of federal it's a yeah um, i don't know if you've heard me talking about it lately but i i after this election and, and i didn't vote for gary johnson because I, I didn't like him but um i i don't think the libertarian party needs to waste their time with federal stuff with, with the with national elections uh, anymore to me i, I think they're waste. I think it's a waste. I think that there's a lot of resources they could be putting into mayors and city council members and, and well, yeah, and all I mean, that. it's, it's, um, it's written right there for them. Support local people, even if it goes to the state representatives and then support nullification. I mean, it's written right there. This is you. Why would you vote for someone to get in power to give me my rights back? No. You put someone in the in the house, or you put something in the Senate, and when something goes through, you just say no. That's not the Constitution. Um, and you know, being an ANCAP preaching Constitution are two different things. Yeah, yeah. But 
yeah, and but like I'm not ignorant to the game. You have to play to be in a free society. You need to support your local stuff, um, and you have to use what you have to say no to the big guys. I mean, if and that was one of the only things with uh, COVID that frustrates the hell out of me is, you know, they blame Trump, but it wasn't Trump that did mask. It wasn't Trump that did all this. It was states, mm-hmm. which, which, which is what it should have been. And not only that, it should have been town dictating. And then you take that another step further, businesses saying who they want and who they don't want in their businesses, as well as the mandate that they will have to protect themselves and the customers that are in there. Um, that so is, all in all, I mean, support. Yeah. It, it, how we did it in Tennessee or how the, how the governor did it. Uh, of course, everyone's been all over him about it, but um, he uh, said he was going to leave it up to each individual County to decide what they wanted to do. And so he, <clears throat> I think there for a little bit, there was a state order and then he reduced it and he said that we're just going to leave it up to each County to decide whether or not they want to follow it. And everyone was really upset about that. Of course, and some of the individual cities made their things, but on the same level, I <clears throat> obviously we've been giving Trump credit. I think that he showed crazy restraint compared to what a lot of other people would have when it comes to his power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <clears throat> which is a crazy well, thing to say about Trump, but he, to me, he he showed that he's not that interested in in being a brutal dictator over the lives of every every individual yeah. life, in my opinion. It frustrates the hell out of me that I have to completely and every day defend someone I don't agree with. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like stop. And every time I got, I have this one of my best friends. Um, he's a Democrat, however he you know carries a gun everywhere. And I tell him, dude, you're libertarian. You just need to realize free markets better than government. Um, but he just hates Trump. And before we get an argument, I'm like, listen. You know where I stand. Don't make me defend him, but I will. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's not defending him. It's proving your side completely ignorant. And that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, his restraint. I mean, what other guy would sit in there and have the chance to tell every single person in the country they're running what to do every day of their life? And he's like, nah, I'll let the states figure it out. Yeah. Um, but I gave him a chance. Like I said, I voted for him in 2016 strictly because I wanted to end the wars. And my right-wing family, um, I mean, I told them when they would ask me, are you voting Trump? I'm like, no. Why not? I said, okay, listen, this is where I stand. And this is this is probably July this year. I said, if this guy ends one war, I don't care about any of the other shit. If he ends one war and actually ends it before the vote, he'll get my vote. And he didn't do it. Now pulling troops out is not the same thing. Because they can just go back in. Mm-hmm. No, you need to slice it off, cut the head off, end the wars. Definitely. Dude, i got to end this. And actually, I could sit here and talk for a long time. But my SD card says it's only got two minutes left on it. So um, I will have to end it regardless. I really appreciate you you know, opening up about everything that happened when, uh, when you were younger. And uh, it's going to be... The good thing is it's valuable for everyone to hear that's going to listen to the podcast. And so I really appreciate your time today and taking that time to talk to us. Yeah, no problem, man. I just want to say um, keep up the good work for real.